Welcome to the Voice of Business, the official podcast of the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii, brought to you by Altris. I'm your host, Joe McGarry. Today, our guest is Rana Sarkar. He's the Consul General of Canada in San Francisco. And I think we're just going to have a fascinating conversation this morning as we learn more about Consul General and why Canada and Hawaii have a tie that you might not even be aware of. Mr. Sarkar was appointed as Consul General of Canada in San Francisco, Silicon Valley in 2017 with accreditation for Northern California and Hawaii. He's also a member of Canada's NAFTA Advisory Council. And it's so nice to have you. Welcome. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for making some time in what I know is a really busy schedule of during your trip to Honolulu. I would just love to get right to it in that Canada and Hawaii obviously share some strong economic and cultural ties that I think a lot of people are not even aware of. So please tell us more about this relationship. Well, it's a fascinating one, Joe, and thank you for asking me because it's it's it surprised me, quite frankly, when I you know first arrived in this role. And you know, I think that the the old image of you know sort of you know Waikiki tourism and you know Hawaii being you know um, essentially very separate from the the continental economy of uh, the United States, I think that image is you know uh, is an old one. And with Canada and Hawaii, it's a fascinating story because it actually is a very old story and it goes back a long ways even before Hawaii joined the United States and before Canada was even you know confederated in the in the 18th and 19th century there were literally tens of thousands if maybe not tens but in the thousands of of uh, native Hawaiians who lived on the west coast of uh, British Columbia and uh, there were at at one stage there were three native Hawaiian newspapers in uh in in british columbia i know they were a political force there's this is a this goes back to old whaling communities where uh, you know old uh, uh trade ties people who worked on ships and so there was this this old um pacific corridor of transit that you know is connected you know not just polynesia but but hawaii particularly to the west coast of canada so it's a very old story but you know then fast forward after that you know we have a you know a situation where there's a million canadian visitors that come here we spend on average uh 1.6 billion in and on the hawaiian islands and these are longer term higher value visitors that are you know sensitive to um, you know, they're, they're, they're arguably more ecologically sensitive and, uh, uh, and they're the sorts of, of traveler that I think that is, you know, uh, is, is, is welcome here, hopefully. And, uh, and hopefully we can encourage more of, um, and so that's just on the, the travel side, but we are also, we have 300 million, uh, plus in, 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 in an annual trade right now between the two countries. And we, we buy uh, $370 million of services from Hawaii every year. And so services this that include, give well, us I some mean, examples. From uh, um, uh, not just professional services, but also uh, uh, often uh, uh, in, in the hospitality sector. And so these are uh, deep and abiding relationships mm-hmm. that often go below like a lot of great relationships it goes below the radar it's like a good strong friendship it doesn't need talking about or discussing or promoting it's just there constantly it is 
So, so it's, that's really amazing to hear, especially, I think, you know, all of us were very tourism aware in Hawaii now. And, you know, as, as the effects of, of climate change are starting to, you know, be apparent in the islands, we're all very aware of how many tourists are coming in and where they're coming from. But I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that there's just over a million Canadian tourists come in here. So it's, it's, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm suspecting that because a lot of them favor Maui, that they're the tourists that we refer to as snowbirds. They love to come for Correct. the winter yeah, in, in Canada and spend it here. So they are the longer term. It's a tourists. lot better place to spend the winter, I can tell you. I know. Although those of us who grew up with snow can do miss the snow. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, you're welcome to come to Canada. Anyone who's listening to this <laughs> podcast, please come. We've lots of, lots, lots of fun with snow and a lot of great events there as well. What brings you to Hawaii this week? Why are you guys here? Well, this week, I mean, we, we, we tend to come uh, fairly regularly and, you know, in our absence, you know, we, we have a great partnership with our colleagues in the Australian consulate here who uh, we do a lot of work together. But uh, but this week in particular, it's uh, it's RIMPAC um, that is bringing us here and in and around RIMPAC. And, and you know, as RIMPAC grows as a as, as you know, in, in importance, just given the, the changes in the geopolitical weather and the geoeconomic weather and the importance of of this of the Pacific and the Indo-Pacific um, uh, geopolitically, um, Hawaii is becoming a much more you know central player in that relationship. And uh, so, uh, in and around that, there are lots of great discussions about what the future of the Indo-Pacific and uh, and where various countries can help assist the 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 countries in the Indo-Pacific and. And I would I would draw your attention to a couple of different opportunities, and I think that you know are really out there for uh, businesses in particular, and as an investor, and as somebody who, um, you know, in my previous hat, you know, looked at this, you know, deeply through the commercial lens, is that I've never seen a more exciting time right now to be involved in clean tech projects, um, looking at everything from uh, you know regenerative agriculture to you know sensing and ocean monitoring to you know the the use of satellite data, the use of uh, a, a lot of of computational data to you know get to better outcomes for a lot a lot of communities, and and uh, this is a you know sort of a, a Cambrian explosion of opportunities out there for uh, folks in these sectors. And if you're in you know looking at putting up pilot projects in in uh, in in alternative energy, or if you're looking at getting communities off diesel, for instance, that we're looking at as well. Um, building more resilient communities. This is there's never been a better time right now. And I think in that sense, we both do share a deep concern and commitment to. Um, we were just talking to the president of Hawaiian Airlines a couple of podcasts ago, and they've made a huge commitment to get to net zero um, emissions. Um, and I think there are just more and more people who realize this is something that has to be done. What, what do you think we share? I mean, obviously, we have a common goal, as, as most people who are ecologically and globally aware. But what specifically strikes you about the relationship between us when it comes to um, just really climate change and what we're all doing? Well, I, I think at the at the larger scale, we're we're all deeply committed, and I think that any of us who've been in, engaged in this, you know, these these issues for you know the course of years and, and decades, is you know, look, I mean, it's we're at a, a at a point of alarm now, and I think that every system, if you're not you know, interested in climate change, climate change is interested in you, 
And uh, every system we touch is impacted by it, be it, you know, your, your from, from health to you know, all the second order, you know, implications to building resilient infrastructure to, you know, the cost of living that people are concerned about right now. All of this is being deeply impacted by climate change. And I think for Canada at a, at a larger level, we've, you know, we are a net emitter country as well. We have a large and active, you know, fossil fuels industry. And we think because of that, we have an additional obligation as well to be leaders in climate. And uh, we've, you know, demonstrated that through our commitments at not just the COP, through the COP process, but but also sort of working with cities and with uh, with uh, other uh, sort of jurisdictions um, to ensure that we have really high quality partnerships that impact real communities. And let me give an example. Like, I mean, so we are uh, also, in addition to a, our big cities, we also have thousands of smaller, you know, remote communities. And, uh, and this is where it gets really interesting with Hawaii, because I think there's a lot of of uh, work that we could do to pilot projects, to look at, you know, be getting communities into, you know, uh, off diesel and, and in, onto, into more uh, sustainable forms of energy, um, uh, building uh, uh, other forms of resilience uh, and efficiency into, uh, in, into some of these communities so that, you know, in the event that things, you know, uh, the climate does change, you know, we're going to be in a better position to support the communities through it. And so there's a, a just a, a host of projects that, you know, we are uh, embarking on right now. We've got a, a pretty thick ecosystem of, of companies and uh, investors that are looking at piloting projects in this area. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're, if this is a space you're interested in, you know, look for a Canadian partner. How is Canada? How are you guys recovering from COVID, how was it for you? I mean, obviously different areas will have had different responses, but are you challenged in a similar way to, uh, you know, the things that we're feeling right now globally, like, you know, gas price increases and utilities and oh, uh, oh, food uh, prices I, and how is it going over oh, there? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I think that, you know, we are all as Western and, and, you know, countries, but also sort of the globe over, I think that we are all uh experiencing you know a, a, you know inflation we're exp- experiencing you know all of the kinds of supply shocks that you know are happening as a result of uh um reopening and and i must say also as a result of uh of uh, russia's uh invasion of ukraine which is um and as a result there's this perfect storm of of crises that are uh, emerging on the horizon that we have uh with us right now and uh, and we see it every time we you know go to fill up the tank and uh, and so people are experiencing it and so we've taken measures and I, I you know it goes back to the earlier question of how did we you know go through the the COVID process and what I would say is that there's we were um, more uh, uh, sort of cautious and forthright than I think that a, a, a lot of other jurisdictions in the world there was a report that came out. Just yesterday, that uh, that listed um, our progress as the second best in the G10, next to Japan, in terms of uh, in, uh, few, fewest uh, excess deaths as a result of COVID. And uh, but you know, the important part as well for us was ensuring that communities and families remained whole during that process. And so we 
um, you know, we, we supported families through that. We supported families directly. We supported uh, individuals directly through that businesses um, to ensure that, you know, there was a glide path to when things did open back up. Um, we, uh, you know, would be in a good position to take advantage of that. And I think that that's, the economy has, you know, if you were looking at it, you know, st- strictly in bloodless terms as an, in an economist or, you know, somebody looking at growth, I mean, Canada's done, you know, well in comparison to a lot of our, our peer countries on that. But, you know, that doesn't help us when it comes to the, the gas price, which is right. a global price. And, you know, so there's a lot more that we could be doing and we will be doing in the future. Um, but like Hawaii, we're, uh, you know, we, we put health first and, uh, we put supporting, uh, communities first. And I think that was, you know, ultimately I think the data now shows that that was the right call. I think that's because there's so many Scottish people in Canada. I always very, think, very practical. When, we're very practical folks. Very yeah. practical. And also I always feel when I go to Canada that there's just still that, that influence of, you know, like when you're in Britain, people tend to sort of hunker down and say, okay, everyone let's get together. We've got to fight this all as one. And there's that sort of mentality, I think too, that comes from generations of people who there is, and, knew you know, what, what hardship was. Absolutely. And generations of people that, you know, made something in, in remote places. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we are, uh, although we have some, you know, we're a country of 40 million people with an enormously diverse population and, uh, and some very big cities and, uh, you know, a G7 economy, we also have, you know, the, we also have significant, uh, remote communities and, uh, we are of course spread across an enormous geography. And so we, we think about, you know, uh, uh, resilience a lot more and we've maybe often have and even before the word resilience was a thing we were doing that because that's how you survive in mm-hmm. places that's right that's exactly what it is and it, i love how that travels how that attitude travels and you can see it throughout the world that if you're if you if your community is has a lot i think of celtic um, yeah. This is, of course, my own personal bias, but I, I, my observation bears that out. If you've got that kind of Celtic uh, community where people are that very practical, rugged, hardworking, Protestant, you know, work ethic. Well, can, thing. I also, can I also say that, you know, I'd, I'd also say that, um, you know, as much as that's true, I think that one of the other things that we have in common with, uh, with Hawaii is that we are also a, a, a very consciously, deeply plural, pluralistic country. And that, you know, comes from a, there's no one tradition that dominates our, our exactly, process. We yeah. are just like us. Yeah. And there's, there's just a, uh, there's also a sense of, you know, you cannot make things work if you're trying to impose one system and you're, um, and, and that's been the, the DNA of the country since, you know, it's, it's foundation. And, you know, and I think that, you know, as much as it's about, you know, the English and French, you know, sort of coming to an entente in Canada and sort of, you know, managing themselves in a way that they, they weren't managing in the rest of the world, that was certainly the case. But there's also sort of a deep indigenous past to that and, um, and that we're, you know, only rediscovering in our official histories. And, uh, um, and but I, I, I think that idea of, of this communitarian spirit, this, you know, uh, the spirit of, of uh, you know, essentially consociational democracy, you know, goes back uh, a very long time. And, uh, and again, and maybe it comes back to those issues of, you know, if you want, you need to make it work in a very tough place, you know, you, you need a different way of operating. Absolutely. Where do you see the 
potential growth? I mean, obviously, you've you've explained to us that this is this great history between Hawaii and Canada. But from where we are now, what are you optimistic for in terms of of future relationships? Where where is the potential to sort of deepen trade and investment between our our two very special places? Yeah, I, I I think that you know there there are multiple lines on that that uh, we could we could go down, and uh, I think very practically in agriculture, in regenerative agriculture, in looking at you know how we you know manage our food supplies and how we can kind of create uh, resilient food supplies for the future will become an increasingly bigger issue in the context of climate and context of a changing world and uh, Hawaii and Canada can, you know, there's a lot of interesting projects and investable projects that are happening in that, in that area. Um, transportation, we talked about, uh, you know, clean transportation, you know, there's a, a really interesting uh, set of initiatives I know on, on, on electric airplanes that are happening here in the Hawaiian islands. And I don't know if um, uh, the president of Hawaiian airlines talked about it, but it was a, I, I find that a, a fascinating opportunity. As you know, we've got a lot of uh, remote communities that could be well served by mm-hmm. uh, electrified air transportation, and that's just you know in in one category of transportation. Um, I think in you know resilient communities, off grid communities, building um, uh, these the resilient grid supplies. I think there's significant opportunities. But let me just bring it back to where I think a lot of people are working right now is in tourism and in travel here um you know the net addition to additional canadian tourism through uh through through getting better uh at uh, uh in even more uh, uh air transport links back into canada um through hawaii i think would would benefit in terms of the uh the not just the number but also sort of the quality of uh, of tourists and the length of tourist stay and whatnot and so there's that's just you know one infrastructure example of where we could go it's all very interesting and bodes well for the future and i have to say just before we close here but you might not be aware of this but one of our best loved restaurants in hawaii if you need somewhere to go for lunch after this, is owned by a wonderful Canadian lady. So the bar, the restaurant is Murphy's Bar and Grill. It's been in its current location for about 30 years. It is adored by people in Hawaii. And the owners are Donna, Marion, Murphy, and Marion is Canadian. Oh, fantastic. And she is a very proud Canadian, and she makes the best pies you will ever taste in Hawaii. So I can highly recommend you go and visit them. <laughs> so can I Can I give you, I'd love to do that. And can I give you one uh, sort of a shout out as well, is that, you know, we are standing up. And as I said, we have a million Canadian visits. And, you know, we have so many great Canadians on these islands, is that we're standing up a, a Canada-Hawaii friendship group right uh-huh. now and if anyone's in business that wants to be engaged in this please reach out to us we'd love to hear from you and get you engaged in this because it's through those sorts of relationships it's these thousands of individual relationships that thicken the bigger relationship Absolutely. And so the more i get involved in trade when you're talking about trade deals and whatnot that's one thing but it's all the bottom-up trade it's all the individual relations so i got a cousin or i came from this place or whatnot that actually makes trade work and uh, and brings our communities together. So 
There you go. Well, if you have time, go and visit the Murphys. They'll be absolutely delighted to see you. Exactly. We've got a special gift for you, the Murphys. So thanks. <laughs> Rana Sarkar is the Consul General of Canada in San Francisco, and he joined us today to talk about our relationships. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All of our episodes of the Chamber of Commerce podcast are available wherever you get your podcasts. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Chamber's website, cochawaii.org. If you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe on your podcast app and leave us a review. Because if you can do that, take a few minutes to leave a review. It will encourage other people to listen and help the business community to continue to thrive locally, nationally and globally. You've been listening to The Voice of Business, the official podcast of the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii, brought to you by Altris. I'm your host, Joe McGarry. Join us next time for more stories of Hawaii's business. <laughs>